No. Please stay standing. And so verses 10 through 22. <laughs> and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble, as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reviling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children." Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Bor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are the waterless springs and the mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. For whatever comes a person to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse to them than the first, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. May the Lord add a blessing to his word. Please be seated. That was the longest segment of scriptures. Uh, we should have done some stretching before we even got into that. Uh, but we are continuing uh, in chapter 2 of, uh, of, of Peter. And, and as we talked uh, last week, um, in the early parts from verses 1 through 9 in chapter 2, he goes in to describe them and some of their character and how they go about doing their false teaching and the characteristics. We talked a little bit about their pride. But now in the second part, of chapter 2, which is at the very heart of Peter's gospel, he is really going after them now. He's making no bones about it. He's identifying them for what they do, how they do it, and whom they do it to. Now remember, early on in Peter, he says that they have come and they are here. Which means he's just, we're not really just studying this scripture as a piece of history, it's very relevant to the day in which we live here this morning. And so Peter is continuing to identify those false teachers. 
and he's describing their, con- their character, their actions, and who they go after. Now, if you recall, a false teacher is one that carries an opinion that's contrary to the standard orthodox teaching of the church, something that is widely accepted across the board within the church as it relates to the proper interpretation of Scripture. Not just Calvary Alliance Church, but our brothers and sisters in every church in this town and this nation and this world that preach Christ and Him crucified. They're also known as heretics because heresy is the same thing, a false teaching that is carried about as opinion that goes against orthodox. And a heretic is a person who promotes heresy, who promotes a false teaching. And I love what J.I. Packer says as in this as it relates to a heretic. It's one who tolerates sin and brings it into the church. Whereas a Christian is one who preaches and teaches against it. So a heretic brings in the world into the church and they disguise it divinely and justify it scripturally. And it's all based upon their own desires and what they want versus what Christ is calling them to be. Now, the false teaching, as some believe, that's going on right now in 2 Peter is that there are some that are coming into the church and they're twisting God's word and they're saying, hey, we have this grace, this freedom in Christ. Therefore, as Paul said, and we learn later in chapter 3 that they're taking Paul out of context because Paul writes in a very theological high level you know, level, and as a result, people misinterpret what he is saying sometimes, and Peter alludes to that in chapter 3. But what he's saying is, is that they've taken this freedom of grace, and they said, well, guess what? If we sin more, what happens? Grace abounds more. That's not what Paul's teaching, but that's what they're taking it as. In other words, I can live my life the way I choose to live my life, and God's grace is going to cover my sin. Now, that seems like a radical idea, doesn't it? And yet, I've met many a people who will state just that. Oh, I'm a Christian, and God loves me. But you're not living for Him. Your actions deny Him. The things you desire are specifically spoken to in the Word of God as not to be doing what you're doing as Christians. But they live with a free grace mentality without accountability. And now these false teachers have moved in to these churches that Peter's writing to, and that's what they're promoting. Now go back to chapter 2 and he says, or chapter 1, and, um, or chapter 2 and he says, they're followed by many. That means people are like, oh, hey. And you know why that is? Because at the very heart of who we are, we're evil. Right? Saved only by the grace of God. Our righteousness is not in ourselves, it's in Christ. And so whenever this is packaged in a divine way by Scripture, we'll go for it. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You package that. You justify that by Scripture, you'll get a following. You'll get a lot of people. Because none of that comes with accountability. All of that is fulfilling desire. 
Now, having read our text this morning, which is long, and I apologize, I would like to separate the scriptures we read this morning into four parts so that we understand each segment of the scriptures that we read. And so the first part is we're going to talk about the pridefulness. Then we're going to talk about the brazenness. They don't even conceal it. It's out there in the open. They're not like what Jesus taught, you know, they come in secretly, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing. They're brazen about it. But they're also empty. What they promise, what they promote is empty. Sounds good. Packaged well. Great eye candy. But when you open up that package, there ain't nothing in it. And finally, they're enslavement. You see, the freedom that they preach, and we're going to talk about this, the freedom that they preach actually is nothing more than enslaving you again into the sin that you were delivered from. And with each one of them, these segments that we're going to be talking about this morning, we're going to talk about the warnings that come with it. How we, in the church today, individuals and corporately, need to be discerning about false teaching that's coming into the church. Some of it's already here. Right? And cute Christian sayings, cliches that, do, that are contrary to Scripture. And so we're going to talk about that. So let's look at the first segment, right? We'll start with verse 10. Bold and willful, they do not even tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, your version may say they're presumptuous, right? But a better rendering would should be they are audacious. Audacious. I got a tongue in my Audacious. Thank you. Audacious. You practice this in the front of the mirror, and then, and then it just doesn't come out right when you're... No, I don't practice in front of the mirror. Um, but it means that they're self-pleasing. They're self-willed, right? They're arrogant about what they preach and what they teach. Pride has fully captivated their heart. And we talked about pride, right? Pride deceives. Pride blinds. Pride thinks you're on the right path, but you may not be. And it guides their thoughts and their actions. And they use this pride to satisfy the selfish desires that they have. And as a result of pride, which elevates self above all others, they have a problem with authority. They have a problem with authority as, in, as, as put in place by God, as we talked about in 1 Peter. And they also have a problem with authority as it relates to the authority of Christ. They may not come out and say that, but you'll surely see it in their life. Now, as it relates to the glorious ones, there are several interpretations as it relates to that. What is he talking about? Is Peter, one, one, one interpretation is Peter's talking about the fallen angels, right? As being glorious ones. I don't really accept that because the same word for glorious there is being used for identifying our Christ, so I don't believe that. But what it really is speaking of, in my opinion, is the fact that they blaspheme the glorious ones. They blaspheme the divine authority of God. And you're saying, well, how does that happen? What do you mean they, they, they blaspheme the authority of God? They have no respect for it. There's no line. There's no reverence for it. They have no fear of the Lord in what they say. In fact, there was a false teacher on TV who said this. The greatest failure in the Bible was God. He lost the prize angel which would have been Lucifer, the first man he ever created, the first woman he ever created, and all of his creation. 
And he said, after he said that, that God is the biggest failure, he said, now hold on a second. I'm never going to tell you something I can't prove biblically. Well, I was all ears. And he twisted scripture. Now, some people say, well, he was being facetious. Some people say he was taken out of... No, he said God is the biggest failure in the Bible. And then he said this, to justify his biblical stance on this. You don't know... The reason why we don't see God as a failure is because he never identified it in his word. Well, brothers and sisters, if God is a failure, then God is not perfect. And if God is not perfect, Houston, we have a problem. Psalms 52, 50, verse 2. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. God is perfect. He's perfect. He doesn't fail. Who failed? We did. We did. He didn't. At the heart of a prideful person and a false teacher is blasphemous statements such as that. But you know what? They're packaged in a way that makes you go, hmm. And that's how false teaching works. They take a little bit of scripture, a little bit of truth, and they twist it to make it sound like it's truth, and it's not. Remember earlier in the epistle, we covered the seven virtues that we are supposed to adopt to our faith, and one of them is godliness. And godliness, if you recall, is a life of reverence and respect, submitting our lives to God by His Word. In submission to Christ, R.C. Sproul said that we are losing our fear of God in this country, and I would agree with him. We are losing our fear and reverence of God. All we see is God as grace, mercy, love, and He is all of that. But He's also a God of judgment. And sinners and saints alike will be judged. We'll be judged differently, but we will be judged. Look, in, in our Christian life, we're motivated by two things. First, the love of Christ. For if you love me, you will follow my commandments. The second thing we're motivated by is fear. For fear is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is to discern which is good and evil and how you walk in this life in Christ. That's what wisdom means. You see, love is what drives our hearts, but fear is what motivates our conscience. You know why I don't do certain things? is because of the fear of the Lord. And there are times I don't do things because I don't want to hurt the one I love. But there are times in my walk where I go, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to come under His judgment for that. I'm not going to come under His discipline for that because God disciplines those whom He loves. So yes, God is love, God is mercy, God is grace, God is long-suffering, God is patient with all of us. Thank God. But don't forget the fear and reverence we're supposed to have for Him in our lives. It's what guides our conduct. Now to revel, No, to reveal, excuse me, how dangerous and blasphemous the way Peter is using, he's using a comparison here. It actually comes out of Jude, for, for, uh, Jude chapter 1, verse 9. Well, there's only one chapter in Jude, but it's verse 9. And, and he goes, Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. In that the angels did not even pronounce blasphemous judgments when Michael contended 
for the body of Moses, as it says in Jude. Now, we don't know what specific story Peter and Jude are speaking of because it's been lost to time. But basically what he's saying here is this. 